a dear friend of mine who is uh, a spiritual father to me, uh, a mentor in the priesthood, he a few years ago got one of those CPAP machines, you know, that make you look like a, you're a jet pilot because they like strap, strap on uh, your face for the night to help you breathe. Because what he realized is that he stopped breathing dozens of times, hundreds of times throughout each night. He just stopped breathing. And it was a condition called sleep apnea that a lot of people had. Well, he got this machine that helped him to breathe through the night. And he said that it utterly changed his life. His quote was, I had no idea that it wasn't normal to be as tired as I always was. His new normal had become this deficient level of human existence because he was not getting enough breath and he was not getting enough rest. He wasn't breathing enough. He wasn't resting enough. And that is the condition of almost every single Christian and Catholic that I meet. We think that Christianity is so hard, sometimes so joyless, so demanding. Why? Because we are depriving ourselves of that breath of the soul that is prayer, that rest of the spirit that is prayer. We think that it's so difficult and so joyless because we're not spending that time with the Lord. And we've gotten used to that. To the point where prayer is not breath, it is not rest, it is work, it is an obligation. We think, yeah, I didn't pray today, God's going to be mad at me, instead of, I didn't pray today. That means my soul has not been able to receive that oxygen that is the breath of the Spirit. That means I've basically been holding my breath for the entire day and I haven't gone up to the surface to breathe that life of God. It means that I've been going and going and going and doing and doing and doing and never resting in the Lord who wants to give me strength for this life, to infuse this life with supernatural joy. And we wonder why sometimes we resent our religion. It's because we're not living out the essential part of that religion. Last week, the readings led us to, uh, to, to reflect on the importance of prayer. What was it that Jesus said in that beautiful scene with Martha and Mary? Where Martha was doing so much. She was running around in a frenzy of activity. And all of it was good things. Right? She was trying to serve the Lord, express her love in that way. And Mary was just sitting there wasting time at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And how did Jesus reprimand that lazy younger sister? He didn't. He said, Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken away from her. Prayer is the better part. And so we know that it's the most important thing that we will ever do. The most noble conversation we will ever have will not be with a foreign dignitary. It will not be even with the love of our lives here on earth. It will be with the lover of our souls in heaven, in prayer. But we might have left that gospel, that homily, that mass, thinking, okay, prayer's cool. I I would like to someday pray a little bit more. That would be great. Once life slows down, then I'll pray a little bit more. And we might have immediately pushed prayer toward the future because we don't 
where we feel like we don't know how to do it. And there we are in such good company. Because today's gospel is the immediate next line from Jesus extolling the virtues of Mary and her prayer. Of him saying, she has chosen the better part and it shall not be taken from her. Immediately after that comes, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. What do we see here? That Jesus was not extolling what Mary was doing just because he was some megalomaniac who really liked getting that attention. No, it was because he realized that that prayer is what every human being needs. More than they need oxygen in their lungs, they need a life of prayer with the Lord. And it was something that he showed us throughout his life. In the midst of so much ministry, literally, he was saving the world. Oftentimes, we think we're saving the world. It's like, no, I have to answer this email right now. I have to do this thing right now. I'm super important. It's like, I mean, you're kind of important. (laughs) I mean, in the eyes of God, you're infinitely important, but not because of what you can do for him, but because of who you are for him. Who you are matters more than what you can do. And so Jesus, in the midst of all of his ministry, such a busy, busy man, throughout the gospel we have scenes of him alone in prayer, showing us that that is what humanity needs more than anything. That every human nature only functions properly and flourishes completely if it is animated by a life of prayer. And the disciples, you must think that they saw this, this intense prayer, this resting in the Father's love. And they must have set, many times seen Jesus at this and thought, I want that. Like, like he is deeply connected to the one that my soul yearns for, and I just don't know how to do that. And there we have a bridge to them. We have a common experience. Because maybe we've been at this Christianity thing for a while, and maybe one of the great nervousnesses of our life is... I don't think I know how to pray. And you know what? I'm right there with you. Because routinely, I'll be in the chapel and realize, Lord, am I doing this right? (laughs) Like, like, it's been a while. I haven't, like, heard anything. Is this how it's supposed to work? And the divine answer is yes. Because I, I, he's not a a genie or a magic eight ball that immediately does your bidding or tells you what to do. It's a relationship that requires time and trust. It is one where it it almost hinges on the willingness to be bored together, right? That's how you know that you've made it with a good friend, is when you're willing to be bored with this person. Some of my best friends in all of the world, a lot of the time that we're together, we're not doing anything particularly interesting, but we enjoy each other's presence and the love grows between us. And that's what prayer very often is. And so if we've ever thought, I don't know exactly how to pray, we're in good company. We're with those original disciples of Jesus. And today we ask him that exact same question. We say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And what was his answer? It was one of the first prayers that any of us ever learned. It's one of the most beautiful prayers that we will ever know. It is that go-to prayer that I hope we go to every single day. In the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And today we got in the Gospel Luke's version of this. And you might think, whoa, 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 he left some things out. we got to fix this version for him. No, this was 
how he was told it. Right? Luke got a lot of his information secondhand. This is how the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it, to accentuate certain features. The version that we use is from another gospel, but both of them contain the, the, this beautiful core of Jesus inviting us into his own prayer. This serves as a model for our prayer. And it shows us from the very first word, Father, that prayer is not about what we can do for God. It's not about just listing the stuff that we need. It's more than our words. It's a relationship. Prayer is being with one who wants to be with us. It's not doing something for one who needs us to do stuff for him. It's not saying things to one who uh, wants to just from a distance do our bidding. It's being with one who loves us. And so that can take so many different forms. It can take the form of so many beautiful prayers of the saints, litanies, novenas, that we might read through and be inspired by their words. It might be the rosary. It might be reading through scripture. Or it might be just that simple conversation of the heart of saying, this is how my day is going. This is what my hopes are. This is what my fears are. These are my desires. These are my worries. And sharing at that level of the heart. But it might be even simpler than that. It might just be plopping down before the Lord, wherever you are, whether it be here in the church or at your home, and just saying, oh, I got nothing. This is me. Uh, I just, I'm just going to rest a while. And just letting that be your beautiful prayer. And you know what God says to a prayer like that? Amen. My beloved child, I'm glad you're here. I didn't want you to offer something. I wanted you to offer yourself. And that's what you did. And so we can briefly uh, walk through the Lord's Prayer, highlighting those points that Luke also shares uh, with Matthew. But first, the one that we know. Our Father who art in heaven. Right from the first syllable of this prayer, we realize it's not just me and my Jesus. If I enter into prayer to have just some spiritual therapeutic relationship where it's like, well, to somewhere with the world, it's just me and Jesus and everybody else be something, right? If we have that kind of a relationship with the Lord, or that's what we're striving for, to just have him be our personal genie, we're on the wrong track. The very first syllable is our. I'm, I'm not alone here. I might feel alone, I might feel abandoned, but I have the greatest spiritual family that I could ever imagine. Our, that means that I can't exclude anyone from this prayer. I share a father with all of humanity. Specifically in the church, all the adopted sons and daughters of God Most High, but also those that he created in his image and likeness to be his sons and daughters. I cannot exclude a single person from this. This means that I have to confront within myself whatever sins of prejudice I may have. That vile sin of racism, of sexism, of any kind of ism. Any kind of prejudice that I may have, I need to check at the door if I want to be with my Father who is actually our Father. Now we may say, Father, I'm good on that score. I'm not one of them. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the good guys. Well, you might have a little bit more prejudice than you might have thought. And this isn't to guilt you for no reason. This is to give you something to bring to the Lord. Because I have to all the time. 
And a simple exercise will reveal possible prejudices. What happens in your heart and mind when I say the following words? Democrat. Republican. Nancy Pelosi. Donald Trump. If any of those words stirred something within you that resembled fierce anger and general disdain, you need to bring that to the Lord. It doesn't mean that we pretend we don't disagree with people. No, we disagree. We disagree mightily. But we never exclude someone from that hour. No group can be excluded from that our Father because He loves them all. And that means I have to as well. But Father... That's the most important part. If if we get nothing else from the entire prayer, it is Father. That prayer is a relationship. That it is me sitting down before a Father. Not a supervisor at work. He's not there to evaluate me. I'm not there to just tell him how I'm performing. I'm there to say, I'm your son. Or I'm your daughter. And I need to be reminded of that fact. And as your son or as your daughter, I bring before you this little heart that it seems nobody else cares about right now. But I know that you do. Because you're not just my master, you're my father. You're not just my creator, you're my father. You're not just my judge, you're my father. But because he's not there to evaluate us in our prayer, we need to also not be there to judge or evaluate our prayer. Too often we stop praying because... We think it's not working. We think it was kind of dry. I didn't hear anything. I didn't get all these warm feelings that I got once on a retreat. So why am I even doing it? We think prayer where we heard something or got this insight or an answer to our problems, that was good prayer. Prayer where we offered ourselves and seemed to get nothing, we feel like that's bad prayer. But prayer isn't where there's this transaction, this I, I pay you this Hail Mary and you pay me this grace. Uh, No, that's not how it works. It is a growth in a relationship. Sometimes the driest periods of prayer, if we persevere in them, lead to the greatest spiritual growth. We feel like, God, where are you? In the Psalms, I just said so many times, Lord, on the day of need, I called to you, and you heard me, but it seems like you're not hearing me right now. Once we grow in that, And develop that deeper trust of realizing, Lord, whether you answer me right away or in some mysterious way, I gain this insight over months and even years. I want to be with you because my soul needs this moment of rest in your presence. We might have stopped praying because it kind of hurts us when we hear these words. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Because we might say, oh, Lord, but I, I sought. <laughs> I, I, I asked and I didn't receive. Right? I, I um, had sought you and I didn't find you. I knocked so many times and the door wasn't open. And we never take that next step to see, was I knocking on the right door? Was I seeking the right thing? Was I asking for something that if I received it, would have been my undoing? Because later on, Jesus uses this example of what father among you would hand his son a snake when he asks for a fish. And we think no good father would do that. But what good father would hand his son a snake if he asked for a snake? If he's like, Dad, let me play with it, a good dad isn't going to be like, well, you asked for it, here you go. No, a good dad reserves the right 
to say that, that word that only a parent that loves can say? No. That's an answer, too. So maybe that's why we've distanced ourselves from prayer. But we come back to it, all of us together, right? Our. And to whom? To the Father. Say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here we're not saying, Lord, I hope that because of this prayer your name can be holy. Rather we say, may I recognize how holy your name is. May I realize that you are the center of everything and may I value you as the center of everything. Then we move from that to thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that God's kingdom may come. What do we mean by that? A theocracy that just topples our democratic government? No. What we mean is that we accept freely God's reign in our lives. All the rest of creation, the stars and the moon, the plants and the animals, they have no say in the matter. They, by following their natural law and their instincts, glorify God by default. I don't. I have the terrifying capacity to say, no. In this heart you will not reign, because I am king of this life. Every time I say the Lord's Prayer, I give that right back to Him. I say, you are the king of this heart, of this life, of these plans, of this family, of this job, of this church. And his kingdom comes by doing his will. But doing his will is a terrifying prospect very often because he calls us to things that make us grow. And so how do we get the strength to do that? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Give us this day our daily bread. The Greek there, it's not... Daily is a possible translation of it. And it's the one that's stuck. But really, it's super substantial bread. It's not just, give me some of the things of this world. Give me enough material goods to get through this day. The Lord wants to provide us with that just fine. But what he wants to give us is more than that. The bread of the angels, his very self in the Eucharist. And if we're not giving rest for our souls in daily prayer and nourishment to our souls in at least weekly Eucharist, of course it's going to be hard. We're malnourished, and we don't have the rest we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There, forgiveness is not fully received until I'm forgiving people myself. We're fooling ourselves if we think we've received the forgiveness of God if we are not willing to forgive. What do I mean by that? Well, God's forgiveness is not just a juridical thing. It's not just him saying, you were guilty, but I proclaim you innocent. You're still a pile of dung, but, you know, at least on the ledger, you're good now. No, no, no. His forgiveness is transformation. And that transformation is only complete once I am godlike in my willingness to forgive. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it comes naturally, but it means I'm willing to do it. It might mean that I have to say those words in my mind and in my heart every day. I need to say, I forgive this person. It's hard, but I do it. I choose to love them and not hate them, even though I'm still mad at them. But once we're doing that, we can know that his forgiveness has taken root, that we fully accepted forgiveness for our own sins. Then finally, lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. Now, that translation is kind of weird sometimes for some of us. We think, wait, why would God ever lead me into temptation? Doesn't he want me not to go into temptation? Don't I promise in the act of contrition to not put myself in the near occasion of sin? Well, here we could translate it just as well, don't let me fall into temptation. In the way that Luke has it, it's do not subject us to the final test. That that means like, Lord, I, I get that you will never call me to something more than what by your grace I can handle, but just don't ever forget how weak I am. Please, like, just don't call me to something that is just so great that I'm going to risk not being up to the task. And there you get this child's plea of saying, like, God, okay, if it's really tough, you need to carry me through it. That's essentially what we're saying there. But we're also, by that fact, if we're saying, Lord, you need to lead me not into temptation, we're also implicitly saying, and I'm not going to lead myself into temptation. And then it's deliver us from evil. I want to be delivered from evil. What does that mean? I don't want bad stuff to happen to me? Yes. But much more, I don't want to do bad stuff. I don't want to commit evil because that's when it's actually taken root within me. Free me from sin. And that's how you deliver me from evil. So, dear friends, we have this beautiful model of prayer, an invitation to participate in the very prayer of Jesus to the Father. And as we recite the Lord's Prayer at this Mass and in our lives after this Mass, let's reflect on that fact that we are never alone. We're part of a big family that has a glorious Father, and we can always turn to that Father in that prayer that is breath for our souls and rest for our spirits.